when we talk about people discovering Jesus and the journey at this place. There are so many steps that lead to that journey. There are so many moments and people who participate in that life change. And that's what we are about as a church, and that's what this series is going to be about as well. Well, welcome to Crossing today. So glad that you're here. Um, let me just look in the camera and to welcome our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who watch online. Can we just give them a big hand? Welcome them. Glad that you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, yesterday we had our first annual team conference. We had 500 volunteers who packed out this floor right here, and we had an opportunity just to train them, to encourage them, equip them, empower them for what they do. And the crossing exists because of volunteers at this church. And so here's my encouragement to you, is if you have ever thought about volunteering here, we need you. We cannot do what we do without you. And so this is just your invitation to jump in and be a part of that life change that God is doing here. Well, a few weeks ago, Darla and I went to Target. And as we were coming into Target, there was another family who came in at the same time. And they had this girl, I'm going to say she was probably five or six years old, that she started to grab her own cart because she wanted to push her cart next to her parents. Well, her dad told her to put the cart away. And at that moment, she began to scream and throw a fit in the entrance of Target. Well, at this point, I'm kind of watching this whole interchange of what's going to happen. Well, finally, the dad just gives in, and he lets her have her own cart. Well, throughout the rest of the time that we were at Target, it didn't matter where we were in the store. Every now and then, we would just hear her begin to scream and just assuming because she wanted something, you know, she wanted something to eat or she wanted something that they would buy for her. And my guess is they probably just gave in all along the way. And I said to Darla, I said, when our kids were that age, that was a hill that I was willing to die on. That if, if we were at a store and our kids started to scream to get their way, for me, that was the moment I'm like, I'm going to win this one. I, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to win. And, and maybe you've said that before. You know, this is just a hill that I'm willing to die on. Well, we say the opposite as well. And maybe you say, well, that's just not a hill I'm willing to die on. And what you mean by that is, is that this issue or this specific situation, while it might be important to you, it's not so important to you that you're going to die on that hill. It's just not worth that cost. If Darla and I are, are talking about something and we have a disagreement, and she has a certain opinion, and I have a certain opinion, Marriage 101 says, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. It's just, I'm just going to be, okay, we're, we can kind of compromise on this one. But sometimes, there is an issue, there is a conviction that's worth dying for. Maybe it's the core of who you are. You know, maybe it's a parenting decision. Or it's a moral dilemma. Maybe it's a belief. I believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God and salvation happens only through Him. That's a hill I'm willing to die on. And today, as we start this brand new series called Hills We Die On, we're going to walk through this over the next four weeks. We're going to talk about these non-negotiables for us as a church. Now, they are not necessarily essential for salvation, 
They are not necessarily something that every church feels the same about, but they are true for us. We feel like this is the way that God designed our church. And I want to show you a scripture out of Acts chapter 2 that is going to be the basis for this entire series. It says this, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I don't know if you noticed the last part of this. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That this was happening on a daily basis. Maybe you grew up at a church where the only time that someone was ever saved is when, you know, that 11-year-old boy finally got to the place he had grown up in the church that he was going to be baptized, and it was the first baptism the church had had in 11 years. But this first church, it was happening on a daily basis. It was happening on a daily basis. But I want you to look very closely at this scripture right here. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want to show you something that I introduced to you last year. And here at the Crossing, we call this the Great Commission engine. Now, you know the Great Commission. The Great Commission is where, where Jesus' last words to his followers. He says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Well, we begin to ask around here, how does that happen? How does that happen best? How do people come to Christ best? And when we look at the early church, it was three things. It was the temple courts, it was missional outreach, and it was house to house. It was these three environments. See, they met together in the temple courts. The temple courts, this is the courtyard at the temple in Jerusalem. I've actually been there. It's huge. You can fit thousands of people in there. And they would come together, and they would worship, and they would pray, and they would be taught God's word together in the temple courts. And then it was this missional outreach. You know, as our passage said, you know, they were, they were selling their possessions, meeting the needs of anyone who had a need. Because in that time, when people became followers of Jesus, it was very common for them to lose their jobs, lose their families, lose their homes. They were walking away from everything. That was the cost of following Jesus. And so it was the other believers who were selling their possessions to try to meet the needs that they were giving and sacrificing for them. And then they they met house to house. I kind of envision this as a, a group of 10 or 20 people who got together and they ate together and they encouraged one, to one another. And this is what made the early church so powerful. And we see these three environments essential for us here at the crossing. This is where we believe that life change happens. And let me today, I want to talk about this one right here. That for them, it was the temple courts. For us, it's the weekend services. It's when we come together to pursue God. See, there is something powerful that happens when we come together to pursue God. So many times we go, man, when I am there, 
God just speaks to me. The reason that is, is because we get rid of all of our distractions. We come together in a community of believers and we worship together and God just does something in us. He speaks to us. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15, because this is going to be the basis of what we're going to talk about today. Now, the book of Acts is the book of how the early church began. And when Jesus left, all of the original Christians were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish, his followers were Jewish, and most people thought that Christianity was just an extension of Judaism. All of the early Christians, they were all Jewish. So everyone began to believe that you had to become Jewish to become a Christian. Well, then the Apostle Paul starts going around the world, and he starts planting churches in these non-Jewish areas. And these people begin to put their faith in Jesus. And word of this gets back to the Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like the headquarters of Christianity. That all of these non-Jewish people are becoming Christians, but they were not adopting the Jewish practices. Well, these Jewish Christians started making rules. The insiders started making it difficult for the outsiders to come to Jesus. And we're going to pick up our story here in Acts 15, verse 1. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, Antioch is one of these places that the Apostle Paul had started a church. So he had started church with these non-Jewish people. These Gentiles were coming. Well, these people from Judea, this is where Jerusalem is, they were coming down, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, let me explain what's going on here. For the Jewish people, circumcision was the mark of God's covenant to them. That when a baby boy was born... They were circumcised, and this was just a sign of God's covenant to the Jewish people. And even if you were an adult and you wanted to become Jewish, you would need to be circumcised. This is what the Old Testament law taught. Well, these Jewish Christians, they're coming down from Jerusalem, and they're teaching, if you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised. Well, this is a pretty high standard for salvation, isn't it? I hear the nervous laughter out there. You don't know what, how to respond to this. I can just imagine, you know, the men are, are dropping off their wives and kids to church. Say, go ahead, honey. You and the kids join the church. I need to think about this for a little while. Because they were blending the traditions that they grew up with with the teachings of Jesus. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas had been, had been teaching that salvation comes through Jesus. It comes through Jesus alone. And these religious types are showing up saying, well, yeah, it's Jesus plus. So ba Paul and Barnabas have a dispute with them. And what they say is, this is a hill that we are willing to die on. So, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question right here. See, the church started in Jerusalem. Then on the very first day the church began, thousands 
came. It was the first megachurch. Jerusalem had the first megachurch. Day one, 3,000 people. A couple weeks later, 5,000 people were a part of this brand new church. And so it became like the headquarters of Christianity because this is where it all started. So Paul and Barnabas are appointed to go back to Jerusalem. They meet with the apostles and elders to discuss this one question. What do you have to do to be saved? Do you have to keep all of the Old Testament laws to be saved, or are you saved through Jesus alone? Now, you can see why this is a big deal. You can see why all the men who are back in Antioch are waiting for the answer of this to see whether they can become Christians or not. Well, this is the first church business meeting that has happened. Now, if you've ever been in a a church business meeting, you know that it can get kind of heated, you know, because people have all of their opinions. Well, here's what happens. It says, then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, and you're like, wait a minute. The Pharisees, I mean, the Pharisees are like the bad guys of the Gospels. They're the ones who are against Jesus. They're always trying to trick Jesus and trap Jesus, and they eventually have Jesus crucified. What does this mean? Well, some of the Pharisees have become followers of Jesus. Now, what do you think convinced them? Was it Jesus' teachings? No. Was it his miracles? No. It was the resurrection of Jesus that convinced them. And now some of these Pharisees who had been leaders in the Jewish synagogue now are leaders of this new church because they embraced Jesus as their Messiah. So some of these believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. See, the Pharisees have been teaching and following the law of Moses their entire life. And now they're trying to integrate it with the teachings of Jesus. And they're saying, we can't make it too easy. I mean, people can't just come as they are. There's got to be a bar that they have to reach. Well, then in verse 6, it says, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, I wonder what that was like. I mean, I imagine that was pretty heated. I imagine the apostle Paul is kind of really stating his case. Peter got up to address them. Brothers. You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. The first non-Jewish person to become a Christian was when Peter took the message of Jesus to Cornelius. It's in Acts chapter 10. Peter says, I saw it. I am an eyewitness to Gentiles believing in Jesus. He says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. See, God knows the heart because a relationship with God is no longer based on keeping the rules. It is based on surrendering your heart to Jesus. And what was once reserved for just the Jews is now open to everyone, not by keeping the law of Moses, but by Jesus. But I want you to notice this right here. This right here is the sign of a believer. It's having the Holy Spirit. That the Bible teaches that that when we believe and are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit. 
See, this is the sign of a believer, that you know that you're a believer if you have the Holy Spirit. Somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit is not a believer. So Peter, he's saying, they have the Holy Spirit just like us. He says, now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. Peter says, if you make it difficult, if you make it difficult for people to become part of the church, you are testing God. Why are you trying to test God? Translated, you are working against God. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But a lot of people think that they are here to protect the found. Well, we just can't make it that easy. We just can't make it that easy for him. A yoke, as he's talking about, a yoke was a piece of wood that they would put on oxen to control them as they plowed a field. And Peter says the law, the Old Testament law, is a yoke. It is a burden that even a good Jew could not keep. Because there was hundreds of different laws, hundreds of commandments, and no one could keep them all perfectly. And Peter says, even the best Jew could not carry this burden. Why would we put that burden on a new believer? He says, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. See, grace is a brand new concept. Grace is this brand new concept because under the law, you were judged by how well you kept the rules. And the only way to have a right standing with God is to work your way to God. But because of Jesus, we're saved by grace, not by works, but by grace. And notice, Peter doesn't say, they are saved just like we are. I love what Peter says. He says, we are saved just like they are. In other words, it doesn't matter how long that you've been a Christian. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe your mama was a Christian. Maybe your mom's mama was a Christian. But that's not what saves you. The same, you are saved by the same grace that saves those who are walking through our doors for the first time with a messy life. It is the same grace. And when Peter is done, James stands up and everyone gets quiet. This is James. I mean, this is the brother of Jesus. Shh, shh, shh. We need to listen to James. You know, we, we can ask about Mary later, but, but we want to hear what he says. Now, James was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. This happens about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And James is now the number one guy leading the church in Jerusalem. Maybe he's called the senior pastor or something like that. I, I don't know what he was, but he is their leader. And he gets up and he says, this is the way that God planned it from the beginning. That Jesus would be for all people. And then he says this. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Why would we take his mission and make it difficult for people who are coming to Jesus? And then if you read the verses after this, James gives some suggestions. And it sounds like he's giving more rules that they need to follow. That's really, really not the case. What he's trying to do is he's trying to keep peace in the early church because you have Jews and Gentiles that are now sitting side by side in church. And for the Jews, there were certain dietary laws 
that they just couldn't get past. And so James says, just to keep peace, just so everyone will get along, here's some things that can help us. But here's this bottom line. Here is this hill that we are willing to die on. It's the words of James, that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. See, we are willing to die on this hill right here. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. When I was growing up, when people visited our church, our pastor would ask all of the first-time visitors to stand up. And so they would stand up and they would start to sit down and my pastor would say, no, no, I want you to stand back up. And so then he would begin to walk the aisles and he would interview all of these first-time guests. He would make fun of their name. He would make jokes about them. Us church people loved it. I mean, it was the best part of the whole service. So I thought that we would try that today. So if you are new at the crossing, would you just kind of, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine that? Can, Can you imagine that? There are so many churches that make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And maybe you have your own story. That if you didn't look like them, or believe like them, or behave like them, or if you had a past that was unlike them, then you were not welcome. In this story in the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter says, if we make it difficult for those who are coming to God, we are testing God. We are working against God. See, what is true at the crossing is true of most churches. That the older a church gets they begin to drift towards making it difficult for new believers. Because once you're an insider, you think like an insider, you act like an insider, you create programs for insiders. It's not intentional. It just happens. It's just a drift. That's why when we built this campus 13 years ago, we hung this banner on our side of our building, Come As You Are. Now, the banner has changed four or five times over the years, but the words are the same, that you come as you are, that for some of you, the reason that you tried the crossing for the first time is you drove by this building hundreds of times, and you saw that sign right there, and you thought, is that too good to be true? Could I really come? Because I've got a pretty messy life. I don't have my life all together. Can I really come just as I am? And so when you came Through the doors for the first time, you had this fear because you wondered if anybody looked like you, perhaps had the same problems as you. Could this really be true? See, we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. You want to know why? Because at some point in your life, somebody made it accessible for you. No matter how long you've been a Christian, at some point in your life, somebody made it easy and accessible for you to turn to God. Well, I want to get real practical. Because I think that these are these drifts that we can just kind of drift into making it difficult for people who are coming to God. So I just want to talk about three drifts for us to avoid as a church. And the first one is the drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. See, we know where to park. We know where to sit. If we come in and somebody's sitting in our seat, I mean, we look at them like, you you need to move, get out. We know all the songs. 
And if there's something that we don't like, we complain. You want to know who doesn't complain? People who don't attend here. Because people who don't attend here, they never get the chance to talk to me because they're not here. They're people who are not here. You want to know what the antidote for this right here is? It's for you to invite someone who is far from God to come with you to church for the first time. It will completely change your perspective on everything that we do. We're going to talk about that more over these next few weeks. Here's the second drift to avoid. It's the drift towards rules and away from grace. The drift towards rules and away from grace. Now, I'm not talking about matters of salvation. That's a hill that I'm willing to die on. I'm talking about the rules that we invent so that we will feel safe. When Jesus called Matthew to be one of his disciples, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. He was one of those that was considered the worst of the worst. He is, he is the worst of sinners. And I just kind of imagine Peter, who was this good Jewish boy his whole life, maybe saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, isn't there a rule against a tax collector being a part of our, like, posse here? I mean, isn't there, and there's some rule, and if there's not a rule, Jesus, this would be a good time to make that rule right now. Because the longer that we are a Christian, the more rules we want to make it safer for us. We want it to feel like what we want it to feel like. And so we invent these rules. See, the, the, the gospel or the command is up here, but we make these rules over here so we can feel safe about not going across those rules that are over there that maybe God tells us about. Well, see, we want to be a church that's full of truth and grace. Completely full of truth that we're going to teach the truth of God's word, but we will be a church that is full of grace. See, churches that are okay with the messiness of grace, they will sit on the front row of life change and transformation. Here's this third drift. It's the drift towards preserving instead of advancing. The drift towards preserving what you have instead of advancing forward. If you've ever started a new business, you were willing to risk everything because you had nothing. And so you were willing to risk it all. But once you became successful, you wanted to start protecting what you have. Well, the same is true for us as a church. When we started the crossing, we didn't have anything. We said, God, you can have it all. God's like, well, you don't have anything. Exactly. God, you have it all. You can have it all. But then the older we get as a church, we just want to protect and preserve. And so we tend to want to make it difficult for people who are coming. Let me tell you where the shift is for us. We are trying to make it hard for people in this community to go to hell. If you are going, if, if we're going to make it hard for them to go to hell, then we need to make it easy for them to come to church. See, this is why we have eight Easter services and eight Christmas services across a couple campuses. It's not because we don't have anything better to do. It's because we want to provide an open door. Because if we're going to reach everyone, then we have to make room for anyone. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And to help with this, to kind of help with this mindset. Today, we're going to start, today is day one of our 21 days of prayer. That as a church, for the next 21 days, 
we are going to have focused, intentional prayer together. Praying for each other. Praying for our church. Praying for these values that we're talking about. Praying for our community. And each day in the morning, on our social media accounts and on our website, we will have a post of the scripture of the day and a prayer focus. And what we're adding this year is we've recorded 60-second devotionals just based on whatever the focus is of that day. And starting today, those are already live today. We're going to be doing that for the next 21 days. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. My challenge to you is to go on this prayer journey with us. I just believe that God changes us through prayer. Would you go on this prayer journey with us, this 21 days of prayer? And would you interact with us? That when you see this on your social media, just like it. Just as a way of saying, I'm on board, I'm praying, I'm with you. Maybe for some of you, it's to pick a meal during the week that you will fast. Fasting was a discipline that was used in the Bible that Jesus talked about. And for for us, maybe it's just taking a meal for you to fast. And when you fast, it reminds you of prayer and using that time to prayer. So maybe that would be the next step for some of you. I just believe that God changes us when we pray. He changes us. And it's praying for God to change us as a church, as people, so that we can change our community. So I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you in prayer. So I'm just going to ask that you just bow your heads. And I just want to lead you in a few prayers. Would you just pray this? Would you pray, God, help me not to make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Help me not to make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And maybe the next thing is saying, God, reveal to me where I do that. Reveal to me where I make it difficult for others. Show that to me. Here's second prayer. Help me to have open hands to serve those who are taking their first steps. Help me to have these open hands to welcome them, to serve them. Just pray that God would use you. God, that's our prayer. That as a church and as a people, we would not make it difficult for those who are turning to you. God, help us to make the gospel accessible to people just like somebody did for us at one point in our life. God, help us to have a heart for people who are far from God. To do what we can to begin to make our life so attractive that people want what we have. So God, we honor you We thank you for the price that Jesus paid for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.